Hey, Curvies, Rachel here. If you have listened to our show for a while, you know we talk a lot about building awareness, growing emotional intelligence, and becoming better versions of ourselves so we can live our lives with purpose, clarity, strength, and hopefully a lot of good humor. One of the best ways to accelerate all of those good things is to invest in professional coaching. I have a coach, Liz has a coach, coaching works. And one of the premier sources for coaches who specialize in helping you build mental and emotional skills you really need in the complex modern working environment that most of us are in is our sponsor, Higher Echelon. Higher Echelon specializes in working with groups and individuals and coaching for high performance. You can find Higher Echelon on LinkedIn and at higherechelon.com. Invest in your team by investing in coaching and call Higher Echelon to do it. Hi, everyone. Welcome to Bell Curve. I'm Rachel Breyers, joined by Mary Scott Hunter and Liz Bashirs. And today we're going to talk about the times in our lives when we experience inner doubt about our capabilities and lose confidence if we're not careful, second guess our success, or at the least deal with unhelpful thoughts that really go beyond typical competitiveness or a desire to do well maybe putting you in an unhealthy mental space of anxiety or self-doubt. If any of this sounds familiar, it's because it's actually very common. According to Psychology Today, around 20 to 30% of adults regularly struggle with something called imposter syndrome, and roughly 70% of all adults will experience the feeling at least once in their lifetime. This feeling of not deserving your success or, or just not fitting in is more prevalent among high-achieving women, research shows, particularly women of color. So we're going to discuss this fascinating topic today with a special guest and a fellow podcaster. Kim Menninger is here with us. Welcome, Kim. Thank you. It's great to be here. So Kim is the host of a podcast all about dealing with and overcoming imposter syndrome called The Imposter Files, which is how we found her. Kim has a BA in psychology and an MBA from Boston College. She is an ICF associate certified coach, which is really a big deal, and CCE board certified coach with certifications in career, executive, and leadership development coaching. So as a women's leadership coach, Kim, you have told us that you're really passionate about empowering women to become more confident, visible, and influential leaders. And that really after more than 10 years in the high-tech industry, you've experienced firsthand that there are some unique challenges and opportunities facing women, perhaps in traditionally male-dominated environments. Um, So I think it's cool that you strive to be a resource to women in a way that you say you, you wish you had during your own corporate career. So I'd like to start really with you, Kim, if you can share with us why you're passionate about this topic, and then we'll talk a little bit about our experiences with it. Great. So for me, it all started when I was in college. I studied psychology, as you mentioned, and I was first introduced to that term imposter syndrome. And I remember thinking at the time, oh, thank God, it's not just me. And it really shaped the way I saw my experience going forward. And while it didn't prevent imposter syndrome from happening to me, when it did come up, I had a name for it. I understood it. And when I was 
when I decided not to go into a PhD program and pursue my original dream of becoming a clinical psychologist, I went into high tech and I suddenly found myself in this foreign land where everybody around me was speaking a language I did not understand. They were so much more technical than I was. I felt like they were so much smarter than I was. I can remember sitting in meetings and thinking, I am one question away from this entire house of cards. Just (laughs) (laughs) And I, I was able to name it. It took me a little while because I was so crippled by the anxiety around it, but I, it took me a bit and then I was able to name it. Oh yeah, this is imposter syndrome. I know exactly what's going on here. And over the course of my career, I was able to make some adjustments and and develop some strategies for managing it. And then when I started coaching about 10 years ago, I just saw it all the time with everybody that I was working with. And it became clear to me that this is an epidemic and we're not effectively dealing with it. There is so much opportunity out there to just talk about it at a minimum. And I think a lot of us carry it around like a deep, dark secret. We think there's something shameful about it and to just get it out there in the open makes us feel so much better and makes us realize we're not alone. Oh, isn't that the truth? And I, the only thing I was thinking during your intro, Rach, is when you said that 70% of all adults have had the experience of uh, imposter syndrome, I'm thinking those other 30% are lying because like, it's more like a hundred. Like it's, I mean, who hasn't had the experience at least once or twice? I mean, maybe it doesn't plague you, but there's just got to be nobody who has achieved any amount of success in their life at all who hasn't had this feeling. Well, it's hard to imagine, like you said, any high achiever, any achiever, because for me, it happens most often, and this is shown in the research, that it happens when we step outside of our comfort zones. Hmm. So if you're not taking risks, if you're not stretching yourself, if you're doing something that you're perfectly comfortable with all day, every day, maybe that's the 30% that we're talking about, right? (laughs) Um, But for most of us, We're continuing to grow and challenge ourselves. And when we find ourselves on the cusp of something new, something unfamiliar that we are not quite sure how to navigate, that's when it strikes. Well, I remember when it struck in my life for sure. And it's, you know, over the years it's happened now and again, but I remember vividly the first time it really hit me like a ton of bricks and I felt like I don't belong here. Yes. And that belong word is really important to this conversation. Yeah. So for me, the first time that happened in a big way was in my my second duty assignment in the Air Force. I was a young judge advocate general, young attorney, Air Force officer. And I had a really, in hindsight, now that I've, you know, I'm much further along in my career, I had a really terrible boss. He really was genuinely just almost no redeeming qualities. And, and he had a way of demeaning everyone in the office, not just me. I was, it was categorical, but I remember very shortly into that experience and I'm, I'm fairly confident imposter syndrome doesn't plague me. I don't, I'm not, but I've, I've experienced it just like I think most people have who take any risks. And I remember I was flipping miserable because I just thought, I, I, I don't have any business being a lawyer. I don't have any business being a, an officer in the Air Force. I don't, I shouldn't be here. What am I doing? And, you know, working through that was really tough because you don't, 
I, I didn't even want to tell who my then to you know soon to be spouse. I mean, it's a really shameful feeling when you've worked that hard to get there and everybody kind of thinks, you know, and then, you know, if you tell a lot of times when you tell, you know, somebody you love that their immediate answer is you're great. You're fine. Just fuck up little camper, you know, and, you know, really there's, and I think we're going to get, I know we're going to get into this in a second, but there are, <laughs> there are things that you can do to help yourself through it. Um, real things, not buck up little camper, you know, type things. And so I, I struggled through it and, but I don't think I did a very good job. It was more of a thrash, to be honest. <laughs> Mine had, the stakes were much, much lower in the, but it was equally kind of disconcerting of, uh, almost two years ago, I got my certification to be a spin teacher and I'm I'm not a skinny little mini person. I'm a, a, a six foot tall person and I'm, I've always been pretty athletic, but didn't really like the picture of what a fitness coach looked like is not what I necessarily saw in the mirror. And so I, I remember when, after I finished that certification process, just being like, I'm going to get up on that stage and nobody's going to look at you, Liz, and say, oh, I'm aspiring to be able to spin like you do. And so that was really just kind of a, an amalgamation of, all kinds of different um, self-esteem issues that was really manifesting itself that took a while to, to break through. But now it, it is such a, a source of joy in my life to get up on that, that platform and, and teach spin classes, whether that's actually it's, we're doing them all outside right now because of COVID, but it's, it's such a source of joy now. And I'm glad I pushed through that to pursue that certification. Right, Rachel, you have to answer your own question. You don't get it. You don't. You don't get to get off the hook. Oh, I don't get <laughs> well, I, I love what you said, Kim, about if you're a risk taker, you're going to feel this because I think it's safe to say. I know Mary Scott and Liz very well. I think the three of us would rate ourselves for being risk takers, as being willing to dive in, try something new, for maybe putting a lot of confidence in our in our abilities to get up to speed and figure things out. So I, I think this can show up pretty frequently if that's how how you are. I'll give you an example when I really felt this strongly from about 10 years ago, and you'll understand. So we lived on a naval base in Italy, and they had the high school, and the volleyball team was playing an Italian volleyball team, and they were short on referees. Well, you know, I played volleyball, and we were a state championship volleyball team in high school. I, hey, I can, be, I can ref the game. You know, that wasn't even my main sport. And I'm like, yeah, I'll be the ref. Y'all. It was the most mortifying experience in history because I played volleyball. That doesn't mean you understand the rules. <laughs> and I just remember halfway through, you know, and parents were looking at me and they were yelling and there was another referee who was shaking her head and looking. And it was just that moment where you're like, actually, in this situation, I am an imposter. <laughs> but it came from a desire to to try, you know, to get up there. That sounds fun. Let me do it. And I think professionally where this has shown up for me is that I have really resisted the term expert. I feel like in so many fields where knowledge is compounding daily, you know, in high tech or in, you know, Liz and I work in a similar industry, you, ca you cannot call yourself really, if you're being honest, expert. You, you just can't because things change constantly and they're controlled by factors outside of your control. You can be a learner. And so that's where I find myself sometimes even sabotaging my own credibility if I'm not careful. But I do want to kind of define this a little further, Kim, and ask you, 
What, to your view, is imposter syndrome? Flesh it out a little bit more if you can. And then why does it tend to affect women more than men? So imposter syndrome is the term for that feeling we many of us know, as we talked about, about 70% of us know as that sense that I'm a fraud, that people think that I am smarter than I really am, that I'm more capable than I really am. But at any moment, there's a risk that I will be exposed. And I think that part of the reason why we see it more often in women is that despite the slow progress we've been seeing in changes in the workplace around gender equity, that many of the organizations where women work are still systematically biased towards men. And when we step into these environments, we feel different. And that makes us question ourselves. And so back to what you said, Mary Scott, about that that feeling of belonging or not belonging, if we fundamentally don't feel like we belong in an environment, we feel different from the people around us, we're much more likely to doubt ourselves. Mm -hmm. That aligns so much with the times when I felt like I, I'm not sure I always gave it a name. I'm not sure I always called it imposter syndrome, but I definitely, you know, first becoming a lawyer, the first time you're in the courtroom, first, first time you're in a boardroom, first time you're making a, uh, you know, a closing argument, you know, first time you're doing big things. Uh, yeah, it's, I don't know if people are used to calling themselves imposters, but they certainly are used to saying, what am I doing here? What am I, do I even belong here? Well, and it shows up a lot in people who have taken a non-traditional path to get to where they are. Hmm. So if you are, let's say, you know, you talked about being a lawyer let's say I decided at this stage of my life that I wanted to shift gears and become a lawyer. I might look at you and think, wow, you took the more traditional path. You went through all of these steps and I didn't. So I'm less legitimate than you are. Right. And that might make me feel like an imposter. Or if I'm the first one in my family to do something, I'm the first to go to college. I'm the first to go into a white collar work environment. I didn't grow up marinating in that environment. Whereas if I had parents who went to college and they had friends who went to college and we went to the college football games every weekend and it felt like familiar territory when I got there. Mm -hmm. If instead everybody else seems so comfortable here and I'm so aware of how different this experience is for me, I'm going to feel like an imposter. Yeah, that has implications for those in your span of control, men, women, everyone, really, that if you make a special effort to make them welcome and maybe even say the words, you belong here, you, you have a place here, this is, we're so happy you're here, you know, it, it I don't know that you can ever, if, if imposter syndrome, it creeps in, it's going to creep in. I mean, it's, it's, we're hardwired to feel it. I think at least 70% of us are maybe, probably more, but for, to help ameliorate it among those you within your span of control, it's just a matter of making them feel welcome, which makes such perfect sense. That's exactly right. And we don't always realize the ways in which we're not making people feel welcome. And I think that is something that we can all be a little bit more mindful of. And especially if you look at the stereotypical workplace today, as I mentioned before, leadership teams 
are still pretty male dominated. And there's a very strong bias towards extroverts. A lot of activity happens in meetings with people who are dominating the airwaves, people who are more comfortable thinking spontaneously. And if I'm an introvert and I prefer to process information before I speak, but the general forum for connecting with other people is one in which I'm brought into a meeting last minute, not a whole lot of time to prepare, and I have to compete with other people who are speaking over me, that is not a comfortable environment. I am not going to feel confident speaking up. And so we can also be looking at what influence we have over these forums in which we come together. And if we are the leader of a meeting or some type of a group interaction, to ensure that we're creating space for everybody to have a voice, that we're allowing people to prepare ahead of time by giving them the agenda or any other information that will help them to better understand what the expectations are. So you know, we all have the ability to create a more supportive environment for the people around us. That takes so much intentionality on the part of everybody involved to from the very top of saying, maybe we need to structure our meetings and structure our ideating process to include people in this way to even a step above that of maybe we need to make sure we're including people in this conversation who don't have that traditional viewpoint or who might be, may come from another sector, may come from a, a different background, no matter whether that's, whether that's educational, socioeconomic, whatever, so that they can bring that new perspective in instead of just saying, we're all going to be a bunch of, and I say this as an extroverted white person, <laughs> we're all just going to be a bunch of extroverted Caucasians here. <laughs> yes. Exactly. And and it's our natural tendency to want to conform. We want to fit in. And when we feel different from the people around us, we start to pull back. And so to your point, Liz, about making people feel special because they have a different background as opposed to making them feel different, right? The person that comes in with a different worldview, the person who has had a non-traditional path probably has some really great perspective, probably has some great insight to share but they're not likely to volunteer it because in their minds, they're thinking, I'm not credible, right? I don't have the same expertise that everyone around me has. I'm thinking about the statistics right now around boardrooms and membership on boards, which is heavily male dominated still. Um, There've been some moves to change that and, um, and make them more diverse, gender diversity, but, None of us on this show are anti-men. We we all have husbands and we all have sons or you know, we have people in our life, men in our lives that we love and appreciate. And and I, if I'm looking back, the 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 mentors uh, and the coaches and those that have helped me along the way have been mostly men because of the industries that I've been in. But I, it is just a fact. That I, and I wonder if the reason why women are more affected in the workplace is just simply because of the numbers for now. Yes. And you mentioned, Rachel, at the outset that it has an even more, you know, even greater effect sometimes on women of color for the same reason, because of the numbers. Mm-hmm. Because when you incorporate the, the intersectionality piece, it's another reason why I feel like I don't fit in. Hmm. Well, and I... I like the idea of trying to find value in 
you said introverts and extroverts. I mean, sometimes I, if I hear someone is being criticized in a certain way, to my ears, I'm saying that person's an introvert. You're, you know, the re- <laughs> it's an extrovert feeling very upset that this person doesn't want to participate in this certain way. But, you know, I just want to like scream, don't you see? They're an introvert. <laughs> but, um, you know, I think, I think the implications sometimes here for anybody who struggles with this can be stress, anxiety. I'd love to hear how does this present typically for folks and then how how do you overcome it? What are some tips and some ways to to manage this if you find yourself the only woman in a high-tech industry as as you were or other situations where you might be battling it? Sure, and you're absolutely right. There are physical and emotional symptoms that come across it. You know, the term imposter syndrome makes it sound like it's a medical diagnosis, which is absolutely not. But the very real consequences of that experience can show up in, in medical ways, right? Maybe depression or anxiety. Maybe I'm not eating right, not sleeping as well, not taking care of myself because either I'm in a chronic state of anxiety or I'm becoming very perfectionistic to try to overcompensate for what I see as deficiencies in my performance or in my expertise. And so I'm spending a lot of energy overthinking something that's already good enough. So I think that the simple first step that we can all take when we find ourselves in these situations is to reach out to other people. And then mm-hmm. to carry it around like a deep, dark secret. We all know how freeing it is when you get something off of your chest. Right. And when you carry it around and it's compounded by the shame of not wanting to share it, it it's heavier and heavier and heavier. As soon as you say it out loud, you remove that weight from your shoulders and you also have the opportunity to get the support of people around you who are more likely than not to say, I know exactly how you feel. I've been there before. And it normalizes the experience, which is exactly why I started the podcast, because everybody tells me privately I feel like I'm crazy or am I the only one? And I absolutely not. There's so much opportunity for us to destigmatize this conversation and just own it. And then once you've said it out loud to really think about what you need in order to feel more confident in the environment around you. I mentioned that it's our natural tendency to see what makes us different as something that makes us less than. Whereas if we can reframe that a bit, and start to think about how does what I do differently complement the value of what other people bring? How can I think about how being an introvert allows me to think differently than the extroverts around me and really use that to my advantage? That can help me as well. Now I'm thinking back, Kim, to when I was that, that, that real, that experience that's very stark in my mind as a young lawyer when I was in the Air Force. And I remember a conversation like it was yesterday where I was talking, I finally just talked about it with someone that I trusted. And she didn't say, buck up. She didn't say, oh, get over it. You know, she said, you know, I can recall, and she was recalling an experience of her own when she said, I was really persecuted a lot like you are now. And I remember thinking, oh, oh, you know, somebody finally understands what I feel like I'm going through right now. 
it, it, it didn't change anything. I still had to go to work every day. You know, I still had to deal with this Jack, whatever, you know, I still had to, I still had to deal with it all um, and get through that period of time where he was, you know, in charge of me, but, but it just felt like, you know, a little different when somebody said, I went through an experience kind of like that when I felt that way. And that was it. I don't even remember what else she said. I think she gave me some more advice and told me, gave me some tips and things. But I, the thing that I remember was that, that she acknowledged it and, and said that she'd had a similar experience. And I, then I didn't feel like an imposter so much because I thought, well, I guess I'm not alone. That's right. That's exactly right. And, and one of the things that has really helped me is I'm a high anxiety person. I'm just wired that way. So I have a tendency to blow things way out of proportion. <laughs> so when I find myself in a new situation and that voice automatically kicks in that, you know, what are you thinking? There's no way you can do this is that I try to as quickly as possible move into more of an analytical mindset. Because as long as I stay in that place of anxiety, I can't think straight. I can't problem solve. I'm not able to work my way out of it. But if I can instead ask a question like, okay, what am I really afraid of here? What is it that makes me think that I'm unprepared for this? Now I can start to have a more rational conversation with myself and really identify what are some more actionable, specific steps that I can take. So for example, if I'm entering a role for the first time and I'm feeling in way over my head and I'm thinking everybody around me knows so much more than I do, that feels, you feel powerless in that situation because you, you just can't catch up quickly enough for your own confidence. So instead to think, what's one thing that I could focus on right now that would make me feel a little bit more confident? Maybe it's having a conversation with the, you know, my counterpart in another group to ask a few questions about something before we head into the meeting. Maybe it's taking an online training in a certain software program that people are using or talking about. And so it's bite-sized. It's something that makes us feel like we're making progress and addressing the issue and not just swimming in that anxiety that you really can't do anything with. Boy, you are speaking right to me. I'm just like nodding my head so much with what you're describing. But I think something for me that I've had to, you know, get outside of that mind and find something that works instead has been to try to remind myself of past successes. It's almost like I just, whatever the new opportunity is, it's like nothing previous ever existed. I don't rem- I don't even think about the past. I don't remember any of it. It's like I just was plopped in brand new. So if I'm feeling like a failure at that moment, then I I struggle to remind myself, yeah, but a year ago, remember what you did? You know, it just doesn't feel relevant. And so I've had to force myself to be like, wait a minute. Okay. You've been in similar situations. And once you figured it out, once you learned, you really did well and you will again. But in that moment, like you said, when you need to get up to speed fast and you're struggling, it can really be hard to have that focus that you've been there before and done well. Well, it's so funny that you should say that because that came into stark focus for me as a mom, because I can remember watching my kids learn to walk and thinking, imagine if they just decided I'm I'm an imposter, right? I'm just not, walking is just not for me, right? I can't do it. I'm not going to, I'm just going to stop here, right? The things that we plowed through the discomfort, the the pain of falling down and getting back up again, right? In the early years of our lives, learning to talk. We've 
experienced so many challenges throughout our lives. And like you said, Rachel, it's like nothing has ever come before this when we find ourselves at this particular moment. But we have all the tools available to us. We have gotten through so much more over the course of our lives. And to keep that perspective is really powerful. Underscoring several of the things um, that we've talked about today, I wanted to talk about this Hollywood Reporter long article I just read random uh, about Shonda Rhimes, who is the show creator of some of the best known television shows, Grey's Anatomy, Desperate Housewives, Scandal. She, she is the person behind Bridgerton, which just kind of broke Netflix a couple of weeks ago. In 20, I believe it was 2016, she got uh, pulled over from ABC to Netflix in a multi-hundred million dollar deal. She is the highest paid television show runner in history. She's also a female and a woman of color. She's a mother of three and she is an introvert. And so she, so in this article, she was talking about some of the imposter syndrome issues that she had. And one of the realizations that she had is like, I'm this, I'm, I actually am kind of a get the bleep button ready. I'm kind of a badass. Yeah. <laughs> and um, what are, you know, what are my responsibilities as somebody in that position to own it so that other people know that they can own it as well? Um, there's one, one really great quote that she tweeted. It said, why do reporters always say writers were lured into deals? Like we're children following a trail of candy. I created a $2 billion revenue stream for a major corporate corporation with my imagination. I do not follow trails of candy. I am the candy. Ooh. And so, <laughs> <laughs> so it's seeing, seeing, reading through this article, which we'll link in the show notes, but kind of seeing her, that was in 2018. This was two years after the Netflix deal. This is over a decade after some of her first shows really started getting big. That This is somebody who struggled with it even then and has, has had to follow this journey of really stepping into that realization that she is the candy. Do you have any other um, tips or tricks or thoughts on on how we can step into that power in, the, in some of these roles when we do find success? Well, it's so interesting because I think she's a perfect example of the people you least expect to have self-doubt, right? And I think that as we continue to challenge ourselves, we're always raising the bar and it's always this pressure to prove that we really deserve to be where we are, right? And so there's this initial fight to achieve the goal, the initial excite- excitement around achieving it, and then the, oh, no, what have I done that comes afterwards of, can I actually do this, right? So I think part of it is certainly, like we were talking about before, staying connected to the fact that we have been here before, but it's also about getting really clear on why you're doing it. What's my purpose for doing this? What what drives me? And to try to, as much as possible, tune out the noise. Because so much of this experience of being an imposter is because of our external focus on how other people see us, how other people may experience us. And if we can focus less on that and more so on why am I here? What am I here to contribute? What do I want to offer to the world? How do I want to be of service? It takes our minds off of, you know, how other people are evaluating us and focusing more on our core values and how we want to show up. Oh, I love that. Recently, I was very convicted because I was kind of talking to my husband about how I was feeling. And he was like, do you realize how much real estate 
you are giving in your mind to other people, some of whom you barely know. (laughs) And I was so convicted. I was like, wow, with my one blessed life, am I really going to turn over so much of how I feel to somebody else? That is super convicting. That's such a great way of thinking about it, too, of giving your power away to other people. And I mentioned my struggles with anxiety. I can remember many years ago going to a therapist who said to me, Kim, you are the center of your universe. You are not the center of the universe. Nobody thinks about you as much as you think they do. And it's been, it has stayed with me ever since. And when I find myself in those moments of, I can't believe I said that, or what must they think? I remind myself, no one but you is thinking about this right now. Everyone else is thinking about what they said or what they're worried about, or they're moving on to, to something else, but nobody else is thinking about us as much as we think they are. I love that. I'll, I'll kind of end us with this one last story and you'll completely understand, I think, Kim. So we had like a, a big end of year party, you know, a big Zoom, a Christmas party. And, you know, there were a couple people who were going to have to give a little speech and I, I was not one of them. And that was great. And then all of a sudden it was like, there's one more person who needs to say a little something, you know, give a speech, Rachel Breyers. And oh, <laughs> every thought in my brain disappeared. You know, and I'm somebody who has formerly taught public speaking and how to do impromptu speaking and talk about being an imposter. You're like, I teach communication. And I literally gave the worst impromptu speech. And afterward, I just sat there and like ruminated. And then what you're saying totally made me feel better. It was like, you know what? Nobody, they probably got a little giggle. They thought about it not ever again. You're just going to have to get over that one, Rach. Exactly. You know, everybody, everybody, if you're, if you are a trier and you are a trier, Rachel, and I think everybody on this show is a trier. And I bet you there's a lot of triers among our bell curve curvies out there. You're not going to win every time. You're not going to, not every moment is going to be your moment. Not, not, you're not always going to be the candy. You know, hopefully cumulatively, you'll be the candy. But, you know, if you're if you're a trier, if you're a risk taker, if you're if you're going to get out there and try to be try to better yourself in any way, not everything's going to go your way all the time. But that doesn't mean you're an imposter. That's right. And, and a final thought here, too, is if your environment is set up to allow you to do your best work and to be your best self, that's worth considering too. Because if you're being triggered by the fact that you work in a toxic environment or an unsupportive environment or a place where people expect you to do things that are inauthentic to you, then that's that's something to think about too. Because a lot of times the imposter syndrome experience is triggered by the forces around us and just finding a more supportive environment can help us to show up more confidently. This has been such a great conversation, Kim. Just absolutely loved it. Thank you so much for joining us. So Kim's podcast is The Imposter Files. Where else can people connect with you, Kim? So I am primarily on LinkedIn. That's where I spend most of my social media time. So you can find me at LinkedIn at whatever the LinkedIn URL is slash Kim Menninger. Great. Well, we also have book club coming up. So Liz, I have started the push. And it is really, really good. Super disturbing, but really good. So can you give us a little bit more information? 
Yeah, one of my goals for 2021 is to read more exceptional fiction. I've yes! I've read so much nonfiction in the last couple of years, and I started hearing all this buzz about a book called The Push by Ashley Audrain. So on March 16th, that is going to be our first Bell Curve Book Club pick of the year. It is a tense, page-turning psychological drama about the making and breaking of a family and a woman whose experience of motherhood is nothing at all what she hoped for and everything she feared. So... It's going to be a little bit different from some of the our previous book club, but I think we're going to really enjoy it, and we hope you'll join us for that conversation on March 16th. You can also find us on Patreon.com and consider supporting us there. We've had a wonderful conversation. We look forward to talking with you all next time. 